Hi guys, welcome to Striving Together, Conversations Worthy of the Gospel. This is your host, Jacob Young. I had the pleasure of being the lead pastor and planter at King's Cross Church here in Manchester, New Hampshire, and we are a church plant with Sovereign Grace Churches, which is why we're having these conversations. Right, the purpose of this podcast is really super simple. I have conversations with my friends in Sovereign Grace Churches because I want my friends and the people I love at King's Cross Church to get to know them. It's really simple. We're just going to talk about Jesus and talk about these guys and get to know them. And I am super excited for you guys to get to know these friends of mine in Sovereign Grace Churches because I want them to have an impact on your life the way they have had an impact on my life. So here's the format of what we're going to do. I'm just going to have an interview with these guys and then I'm going to break it into 15, 20 minute sections. I'll post those, you know, once a week. And then at the end of that time, I'll post a full interview if you want to, you know, do the long form thing. I'm really excited about this and I hope you guys enjoy this interview today. This week's episode is with Pete Privatere. Pete is the lead pastor of Crossway Church in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, and he has become a very good friend of mine. Pete and I started getting together um, in the last few years uh, after I graduated the Pastors College and have started attending the Pastors Conference every year. He's very good friends with Paul Buckley and is a very good friend of ours in our region in Sovereign Grace. Uh, Pete uh, has a lot of great things to share with us this week. One note I want to make is that for whatever reason, my microphone was giving me some problems, and so you'll hear it kind of give a few things, uh, clicks here or there. Please ignore that and enjoy the interview with Pete. Pete, how are you doing? Good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How's the how's the weather treating you guys down there? Really, really beautiful. Yeah, yeah just wonderful to have it. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we've still got some snow, but bro, it's like up in the high fifties today. So it's like a bit of spring oh. for us. Yeah, we're in the high sixties. <laughs> but have some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Are people farming and, yeah. and everything like that now, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not yet, but you know, they do, uh, they'll put large uh, swaths under plastic to get started early. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Although this is definitely, would, would be, this would be earlier, I mean, quite early, right? Yeah. Now. Oh, man. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Um, one of the things I, before we, we get into the conversation of the questions I sent you, I, I did want to find out, did you, um, did you see the game a few weeks ago? Did you? Which game? Um, you know, the, it, it involves some football and, uh. <laughs> that was good. Um, yeah, I saw it. Did you? What about it? <laughs> I just I was curious if you had any thoughts on the game and if you would if you'd be willing to talk about who you were rooting for. Well, you you'll be happy to know I was rooting for the Patriots. Oh, I knew you were a good friend. I just knew that. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I I'm a fan of, you know, like I'm I've always appreciated Brady's on the field presence. Uh-huh. But it's it's funny. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like being a conservative politically. It's like you're afraid to mention it. Like, really? You know, people will think horrible person if you if you say you uh, admire Tom Brady, <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you don't even have the you know you don't even have the. Uh, I mean, I'm an Eagles fan, you know, but sure. they weren't going. But uh, you know, I used to love to watch Joe Montana and. Um, and Troy Aikman. I mean, these guys are like, you know, they're just great field generals. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just awesome to watch them deliver uh, and run a team. I, I love that. So I appreciate the Patriots for that. Yeah. I, you know, I've never really thought of it in terms of like uh, being a little ashamed to admit it. I, I guess partly because I'm just I'm totally confident in being right and knowing that I'm okay with everybody else being wrong, 
and the uh, good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, it was. Uh, man, that was just such a fantastic game. I I loved it, but some classic football. But uh, I wanted to, so thanks for taking the time to talk with me. I hope you don't mind me just kind of poking you a little bit about uh, about the Patriots. I, that's actually very endearing that you would be rooting for the Patriots. <laughs> I think that'll that'll speak to our folks. Um, so if you could, oh, cool. Pete, if you could just fill, um, for our folks, just imagine you're introducing yourself to them and just like tell us your story because I know a little bit about it. I mean, I know that you come um, – from the mafia and uh you know just that that background <laughs> um but uh just just fill us in on on who you are and and uh your history i know you're part of the assemblies of god and then how you ended up with sovereign grace i'd love to hear that story sure sure um yeah and 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 if i start to go down a road too long just uh just redirect me because i i won't take any offense at that because I, I want it to be as useful to you <laughs> as you know as it can be it's okay we'll let you talk until you start offending us and then we'll cut you off don't worry right I mean, you can always edit it later I guess, yeah too, but, uh, uh yeah you know i i um it's kind of i mean I'll, I'll give you i'll throw in this this little bit of history too so um many italian immigrants came to the united states in the early 1900s late 1800s early 1900s and, and they're mostly Roman Catholic, although, uh, if I understand right, there were some Presbyterians mixed in. No way. Um, but, of course, you know, I think dating back to Calvin, uh, there were some Italians that were Reformed. Oh, and, wow. um, and there was some mix of influence there. So, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. But, that, but by and large, they're, you know, really strongly Roman Catholic. Right. Yeah, so so my family came with the hordes from southern Italy, you know, and uh, looking for uh, work in the United States, and and uh, many of these Italians settled in obviously in urban centers and cities and created little Italy's forever, and and of course early in the 1900s, uh, Pentecostal revivals kind of swept the nation right, and. Right. And a, a, yeah, and, and a lot of the urban centers were sort of hotbeds, and so these little Italian Pentecostal churches would pop up, and um, in these areas, and it was during that time that that all of my grandparents who had, they came from Italy, um, they all came to Christ, and they all became Pentecostals. Wow! And so. Was that yeah? So, so that would have been like the early 1900s for for them, or would that have been 1920s? Like that, when would that have been? Yeah, probably, probably for them it would have been. So I, I think probably 1920, probably late 1920s. Okay, you know, somewhere between 25 and 35. I would, I think, for each of them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, and, and so I mean, it's it pretty unusual to be. Italian and not just Protestant, but Pentecostal, and you can imagine they face some some challenges yeah, um, no culturally on a, on a number of levels at that time, you know. But at any rate, um, a lot of these little Italian churches sort of um, eventually they they kind of um, uh, what's the word when you they, they merged and um, and eventually a lot of them became part of the Assemblies of God or other denominations. And that's, you know, so, so I was raised in an Assemblies of God church in South Philadelphia. And even though my parents second generation Americans, as they prospered a little bit, they moved out to the suburbs. And so I was raised in the suburbs, but also spent a lot of time in South Philadelphia because they never would leave their, you know, their home church and that whole oh, sort of you. cultural world as well as got it done yeah wow so that's kind of a little bit of the background so i was raised uh i was i was you know dedicated as a child i was baptized and and i i, I uh, went to bible college out of and came back and i and i interned and i married uh i my wedding was all under the same pastor in the same assemblies of god church in south philadelphia wow and so i had a very positive view yeah my Christian life was a good Christian life, you know, loving parents, solid teaching, 
um, you know, it was a very good church. And, um, and that was my experience. And so when I went into pastoral ministry, I went you know, through these summers of God and, um, and I became a pastor, uh, in the assembly of God. Were you, and, a, uh, did you start uh, pastoring at that okay. church? Were you, where you grew up? You... Uh, no, I, I, did, I did two internships there and I did like youth pastor work there, but after Bible college, I went to become part of a church planning effort, uh, just outside of New York city. It was kind of like this, it was a, you know, <laughs> it was a cutting edge urban church planting effort. Um, and, and I was in Fort Lee, New Jersey, which, you know, the Manhattan, uh, the uh, George Washington Bridge has one end in Manhattan. The other end in Fort Lee. And oh, okay. so um, we were planting a church there. I was like the associate pastor. Did you guys, and I worked as a, yeah, did, go ahead. Did, did you guys connect at all with Brooklyn Tab? We did. I mean, not, not officially. Um, I would, uh, I would go there once a year and I actually, you know, from Fort Lee, I went to plant a church in King of Prussia, and I would take the church once a year. We patterned a prayer meeting. I mean, we were very small, you know, but we we tried to pattern the kind of the idea of having a weekly prayer meeting after Brooklyn Tabernacle. So we were really familiar with them uh, and appreciated their ministry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I also, I, I was up in North Jersey. I got to visit Tim Keller's church in the, in the early 90s. Uh, oh, no kidding. Probably about 95. Yeah. That would have been like yeah. before he was Tim Keller, right? That's back when he was just Tim Keller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, he was he was he was kind of locally gaining a name, but um, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't as yet sort of a household evangelical name. Yeah. Wow. So you so you left that. So you were part of that um, the church plant in the New York area, and then you went to King of Prussia. Um, right. And right. You, so, how did? What was that like to start leading a church plant, kind of in the area of where you grew up, um, as a church planner? I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, it was it was it was wonderful because you know we felt like we fit with the area really well, and it's kind of interesting because. Um, King of, you know, growing up in, in like Southwest, just, just outside of Philadelphia, um, King of Prussia felt like that was like, you know, kind of way out in the suburbs. Right. Yeah. And then, and then in my college years, they finally completed uh, in the Philadelphia area, a highway that made it much quicker. So it went from King of Prussia went from being a 45 minute drive from where I grew up to being a 20 minute drive. And so all of a sudden that became like the main mall that everybody went to from that area. So, um, it, it was a very, it was, it was very good because it was, it was kind of new, but it was also very familiar. Right. And, um, we loved it. My, my family was nearby. And so there was, my cousin became part of the church. My parents became part of the church and, and that support was really helpful in those years. Um, I mean, we were, we were small, we started with nothing and, and then we were there uh, about six years and we were averaging mid seventies. So we, we just grew a little bit each year and it seemed to be going the right way. Um, and we loved it. We loved our, our church plant there. Wow. So, so talk me through, how did you go from leading a church plant with the assemblies of God to then being, uh, exposed to, and then effectively leaving that to be a part of sovereign grace, uh, churches? Yeah. Um, so what happened was I, I was real into sort of popular Christian leadership material because I was, I was trying to learn how to, how to, you know, lead this church and establish this church. And, um, and, and one of the kind of popular teachers recommended that I, I get out of my denomination to learn from others, which I think was actually very sound advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. And, yeah, and, and I had uh, I had a, a high school teacher who had become a pastor and planted a church on the east side of Philadelphia, actually Marlton, New Jersey, and that church plan was going very well. And I didn't know anything about his theology, I just or, or his organization. All I knew was that he was a church planter, and it was it had been established pretty quickly. And um, 
And so I thought, well, let me try to connect with him. So really the, the transition really began with, and I mean, there was no thought of making a transition either theologically or, you know, in my organization or geographically, nothing like that. I love our church plant, but, but it was just to learn. And, and, and then in seeking that, um, it was through a relationship, you know, so I had this high school teacher that I respected had become a pastor. And so when I went to visit his church in, um, 1999, um, his, my experience with him was quite different than my experience with, with pastors that I would typically interact with. And there was, mm. there was something going on there. It was a, a very much more of a servant type of an attitude. And then also um, the church itself was very different. Like, like I said, I was into all this sort of popular church growth and church leadership material. And the church that I went to, it did some things that were absolute no-nos, uh, in regard to church growth, really ideology, ideology like, yeah. Like, can you give me an example? Like, did you walk in here kind of like, oh, you should never do that? Like, what were the things that you were yeah. that you were seeing? Well, yeah. Well, and the first thing was everybody was talking to me, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think I think church growth is like you're supposed to sort of tastefully make a connection, but leave people like you know, kind of leave them alone. I got you. A little bit of like the Walmart, Walmart experience, like, hello, welcome, and then go do your thing. Exactly. Yeah. Be helpful, but don't, but don't be nosy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, then, and also, they, they sang for like 45 minutes. We were standing and singing all these songs I didn't know. Right. And then, uh, and then the sermon was quite long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're talking about like and, all the, uh, the main elements of their worship service were breaking all the rules. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying they did everything perfect or not at oh, all. No. But yeah. that, but the, but what really came through was, you know, the sincerity of the people. Like I, I, they, it wasn't. They weren't just friendly. They, they, they wanted to know me. Like they wanted to make a real connection, and um, they really wanted to worship. You know, I don't think you have to stand and sing for 45 minutes to worship the Lord, but. But that, there was a sincere desire there that was coming out. And then same thing with the sermon. Uh, they really wanted to hear from God's Word. And so, they were, you know, I went away from that thinking oh, they're doing everything wrong, and yet the church seems to be thriving, and, and realizing, you know, not only it, it, it wasn't just, you know, I might have thought those things weren't right according to kind of what I was reading, but they really, those things felt right. It, the, mm. There was something in what I was experiencing that seemed like, yeah, that's what Christianity ought to be. Mm. Um, and it was, it was power. It had a powerful impact on me. Wow. So you guys connected in your way. And this is, by the way, just to, uh, to kind of cue uh, my folks in where you're talking about Warren Betcher there uh, and they, yeah. Cher Cherry Hill, New Jersey, right? Or are they? Correct. Yeah. They're in Marlton. They Marlton. used to call it Cherry Hill, but it was always Marlton. Oh, okay. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> I, right. <laughs> Anyhow, so you guys started connecting. And uh, so how did that relationship develop to kind of uh, a decision point for you? Yeah, well, he, uh, you know, uh, like I said, he just took the servant attitude. And I had been, for years, I had been just sort of wanting a kind of a, kind of a mentor that I could, I could learn from, and especially with the questions I had, and, and there wasn't, wasn't readily available. It wasn't like I found a ton of pastors who were just ready to offer that. And, uh, and so what I did is I asked Warren if he would mind if I would call him from time to time. And it was his, I mean, frankly, it was his openness at the beginning that gave me the, um, you know, kind of the, 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 the strength to say, let me, let me see if he'll be open to this. Right. We can meet with him every every six or weeks or two months and just pick his brain. He he was very open to that and and he immediately you know um, offered to come to me and uh, and and to pay for lunch and um, and so what I did is I, I you know I said well let's meet halfway so we started to meet halfway and um, and I did let him pay for lunch most of the time <laughs> right did you, and and of course you, you got the steak on the menu. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. I had I, mean, 
I don't even know what I ordered. I just looked at the price, man. Whatever was most expensive, I said, I'll take that. Yeah. I, so that's how I do it. I had, Warren is such a great guy. I had lunch with him once, and he was like, get whatever you want. And I was like, well, I haven't had a steak in like three months. I'm a church planner. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So so you guys were meeting yeah. halfway for lunch uh, that he paid for. He would pay. Yeah. And what, what I would do is I would come with a list of questions and, and I would ask him, I'd pick his brain and he, and again, what, there was a difference between what I typically experienced. He was, he would answer me with, um, really biblical principle and then draw application wow. and implication from biblical principle. And that was, I think I was more used to, I didn't realize it, but I was more used to a pragmatic approach, mm. sort of like what, what seems to work based on someone's experience. And there's a place for that. Um, but, but really as pastors and Christians, we ought to start with biblical principle. And that's what I was experiencing. And, and in that, you know, it, went, it came to a kind of a, at one point we, be, it, I forget exactly how the connection was made, but we ended up talking about the doctrine of salvation or how someone comes to Christ. And, uh, and that's where I really came into contact with, uh, Reformed theology. I had I had come into contact with it a few times in my life, but this was the most sort of direct conversation I had about it. And um, essentially, we centered on election. You know, the idea that God chose those that would come to Him. So anyone that comes to Him, they come to Him because He chose us yeah. to come to Him. And that would just seem, you know, it seems so offensive to me. Like, how could that, you know, how, how could, you know, I mean, so much of my life seemed to be determined by my decisions. How could this biggest decision be determined by, by a force outside of me, even if it was God? Right. And um, I began to wrestle with that um, to the point where I kind of, I grew sour. On, I didn't say anything to him, but I kind of grew sour on meeting with Warren you know, it's funny how offensive this topic is, even though it's it's not like it's hidden in the scriptures. I mean, it's there, yeah. and it requires yeah. you know it requires some really engaging and humble thought. Um, but I was ready to I was ready to write it off, you know, and wow. write write Warren off with it. Yeah, good guy, servant, pays my lunch. God's sovereignty, no way. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy, isn't it? It's really. But but what happened was, you know, at some point in the in the process, there, uh, someone said to me, some someone else said to me. They affirmed that that choice, you know, the the engagement of the will of man, it's all over the Bible. Choice is all over the Bible, but it's always in the context of God's sovereignty. And that was probably the turning point for me in that. As I, as I started to look at the scriptures with new eyes, I think in the past I maybe, maybe I put the most emphasis on how people in the Bible responded to things. But as I, as I began to look at the scriptures with new eyes, I began to see, oh my, God, God really is behind everything. And yeah, people were making decisions, and they're real decisions, but they're always within the context of what God is accomplishing, what God purposes, what God plans, and, and his ways and his plans are, are never thwarted. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the logic and the arguments of Scripture, the flow of it, it began to make much more sense. And that was, and, so that uh, was choices in the context of God's sovereignty. That's really, I, I, right. I don't know if I've heard that, for that, that summary of it, but that's a really helpful, I, I think it's really helpful. Um, yeah. category to think think through it so you were wrestling with that yeah that was a, that was probably the biggest the, the biggest challenge you know and and then you know as i began to see that god was behind it all like spurgeon spurgeon talks about his conversion he, he says that you know he 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 saw that god was behind it all you know and and so when yeah. that when that dawned on me um it it was it did have that sort of um, undoing effect. It's like, whoa, grace is way more gracious right. than I ever understood it to be. You, you know what I'm talking about? Because yeah. 
because I, because I know I, you know, had I been left to myself, I would have never chosen him. You know, mm-hmm. had God just said, okay, you have a purely free choice, choose, choose whomever you will. I, I wouldn't have chosen him. Right. I needed him to choose me first if I had any shot of choosing him. Yeah. And, um, and to think that he would choose someone so undeserving, so I mean, truly rebellious, out for my own pleasure and convenience and whatever else, mm-hmm. uh, it, it really undid me and, in, in a glorious way. Wow. Know? Forever, forever connected me to his grace in a way I can't deny. Yeah. Wow. So you, so you guys were wrestling with that, or you, you began to wrestle with that. What was the step then towards thinking, okay, this isn't going to fit with being with the assemblies of God or where you were at, the church you loved? Like, what, what, what was the transition like for you with that? Yeah, that was that was really hard, you know, because. Because kind of without without fully grasping it um, or admitting it, I guess I became reformed and began to operate out of that perspective, and that meant that I was featuring God's grace a lot more than I had before. Mm. Not denying our responsibilities, sure, you know, but featuring His grace more, and and it was affecting you know it was affecting everything. Um, but I, you know, the more, the, the more I gained clarity on that, I now had a, a disagreement with my denomination. I began to think through, okay, well, can I, you know, can I, this is only a church plant. We're not even established. Can I lead it out of this denomination? Because they don't, they, they don't believe in election. And, um, and I, I um, as I, as I chewed on that, I, I, I really did come to the conviction, you know, I can't do that. Um, this is an Assemblies of God church plan. These folks have been so good to me, and they're expecting an Assemblies of God church. Right, right. So it became imperative to me, you know, to turn it over hey, to someone who's going to make it. Hey, Pete, You sorry. know, they're good brothers and sisters in the world. Hey, it's not like, Pete, you cut out for a second. Could you repeat that? Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, just that um, it became clear to me that I, I, I couldn't take the church out of the assemblies because these good brothers and sisters had supported uh, to some degree what we were doing, and they were anticipating that we were planting an Assemblies of God church. And so it became clear to me that I had to turn this over to someone within Assemblies of God, you know, um, set of doctrines and, and would, would follow through on what we started. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so it was tough because that meant we would have to leave and we loved the church. I mean, we started yeah. it and everyone was there, you know, with us from the beginning. And uh, well, I mean, they, they came into the church as we were there and we baptized some of them and, someone that had come to Christ and we'd seen God work and save some marriages. You know, it was, yeah, it was, um, it was really hard to leave, um, that church. And, and frankly, it was hard to leave the denomination too, because, uh, like I said, I grew up in that denomination mm-hmm. and in that area. And I loved so many, I knew a lot of the stories. I knew what they had done for Christ. I love these folks, you yeah. know, and, and they knew me, you know, and I felt loved by them. And yeah, and uh, and I was, you know, it was tough. It was tough to leave uh, yeah. all of that. Yeah. And even even my family, you know, like, you know, I, I don't think they understood what I was doing at the time. And uh, and so I'm stepping out of pastoral ministry and I'm turning the church over to someone else, uh, leaving our blood, sweat and tears. Um, and I don't think they really comprehended why that was necessary. So they, I mean, they did great. They were loving the whole time, but it's just, I think it was hard on them. And, and you know, when you're making things hard on your family, you feel, you feel bad. So, um, I'm talking about like my parents and my, yeah. my sisters. Yeah. Cousins and my, my, my wife was right there with me. We were, we had walked together in the process. So yeah. She was right there with me. In it. Yeah. Wow. 
So you guys, um, where did you go then after you, you handed that off? Uh, I think, I mean, by the way, Pete, I, I really think that that is, um, just to, to think about that situation of, I, I could imagine myself or other guys in that same scenario and thinking like, well, this is my church. I'm going to take this and do what I want with it. But I think it's a sign of integrity and humility to say, no, these people, even if we're on different pages with this, with these aspects of doctrine, they signed up for this particular type of uh, confession. And um, it would be, it would be effectively dishonest for me to lead it outside of that without their unanimous consent, maybe. Um, But yeah. 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 I think, I, I mean, I think there could be a time when a church should change, you know, based on their based on their uh, statement of faith and their changing convictions. But, but I, I do think, I, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think it should be pretty rare, slow, you know, um, yeah. really well, lovingly processed. And, and, and I couldn't in good conscience go there at that time. But thank you, brother. I appreciate yeah. that. Oh man. Well, so after you guys left that, where did you go? And then how did you end up in Lancaster? Fill me in. Sure. Um, yeah, so Covenant Fellowship very kindly gave me uh, uh, an interim job as a, a facilities attendant, which basically meant junior um, maintenance man and janitor, mostly janitor. <laughs> so you <laughs> you church. were you were literally the doorkeeper at your father's house. You you just you left yeah. the 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 high courts of being a, a pastor to being a lowly janitor. <laughs> yeah. Very lowly. Yeah. I was pulling weeds and cleaning toilets. That was just for a few months though. Yeah. They they um they sent me to Sovereign Grace Church's Pastors College. And uh that was so so April fourteen was my last April fourteen, two thousand two was my last Sunday in King of Prussia. And from there we went directly to Covenant Fellowship in Glen Mills. And um and then in the, uh, in about August, uh, so the, the several months there between April 14 and, and really the middle of August, in August we moved to uh, to the Sovereign Grace Pastors uh, College, and then I spent the next nine months there um, doing some intensive training with with that uh, course, and that was just a fantastic and wonderful time of growth. Really the whole time was, it was, it was hard, you know, it was, it was challenging to my soul in a lot of ways. Um, there's, you know, obviously when you're moving around and, you know, we had, we had, um, three small children and there's difficulties that attend that and, um, your income is uncertain and the future is uncertain. And, um, and then the, the academic pressure was real and good it was good and it was right but it was it was real yeah and um and so there was some challenges there then after pastor's college i was slated to be a church planter for sovereign grace to do an internship about a year internship with my good friend warren so it kind of came back full circle oh wow and i got to be a pastor yeah as a pastoral intern in, in Marlton and it ended up being about 10 months. And, um, we were really thrilled to go to Marlton and the, the folks treated us really well. And I, and I know that that was the case because Warren and his wife, Kim really set the church up to, to receive us, um, in a way that I just, I couldn't have anticipated. So we had a really refreshing and blessed time there. And uh, at the beginning of that time, I was slated to be a church planter. And I was excited because I thought this might finally uh, translate into, into really, I've had a dream since the early 90s to plant a church in Philadelphia or potentially New York City, but primarily Philly. Um, but in the midst of that time frame, this would have been... Uh, you know, fall to winter 2003, um, there was another Sovereign Grace Church here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that had a long-term interim pastor, a man had stepped in during crisis and had been pastor here for over 10 years, senior pastor, 
and they asked me to consider if I would come in and take the role from this, this man who had served so incredibly faithfully and sacrificially. And, um, and so we began a process of several months, uh, and it did seem like a good fit. You know, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, mm-hmm. the folks yeah. here in Lancaster, you know, my wife and I. And so we, uh, we ended up coming to Lancaster. And that was, uh, I started here in April 2004. So in just under two years, I had left the church I was planting and ended up as a senior pastor here in Lancaster, and all by God's, you know, incredible wow. sovereign grace. Wow, yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. And so, and you've been there um, as the the lead pastor uh, since 2004. Then, yeah, it'll it'll be. Uh, I mean, really, end of March will be 13 years, so about another month. Wow, be 13. Yeah. Wow, that's excellent. So. One of the things I, I know that, that you would have thought of in terms of the transition from being from the Assemblies of God to being a part of Sovereign Grace, and, and by the way, we um, here in Manchester, some of the, the thriving churches that we regularly partner with and love um, are a part of Assemblies of God uh-huh. or a part of the Brooklyn Tabernacle folks. Um, so awesome. this is this is not in any way like uh, ah ha ha those guys they got it all wrong. But just, you know, acknowledgement right. of differences. And um, and so one of the differences that you would have experienced would have been the reformed aspect um, in that transition okay. and the complementarian um, dynamics. Could you could you just kind of talk me through, like, what are the – how did that change happen? Did it Was that like a major shift for you? Um, how did that value become alive for you um, amidst that transition? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. I – uh, I mean, it's excellent from the standpoint of the way God worked in it and used it. It's kind of, you know, it, I grew up, I'd say, in, I grew up in a family that was more traditional in roles. And I would say that the Assemblies of God, uh, at least at the time, is very kind of fascinating. I think, I think they were always egalitarian in principle, meaning that women could lead in the home or in the church. But they really, a very high percentage of the Assemblies of God functioned very traditionally. So while they would affirm egalitarian principle, they would, they would function with traditional male-female roles. And the, the challenge with tradition is that it doesn't always spring out of biblical principle. Um, and so you don't always get the sort of the grace-filled application of biblical truth oh, that you really yeah. want. Yeah, uh, you really need. Um, so, and and in the traditions, there were some good things, but maybe some things that were out of line or not as helpful. And um, and so, I kind of grew up in this traditional with the traditional sense of roles. Then I went to Bible college, and I became egalitarian in principle. And then um, and then as I as I became reformed, I also was confronted with you know, gender roles, and does God, does God bring biblical definition? Does he bring definition to gender roles? What does he reveal about us in our genders? And so I was studying that as well as other things like the gifts of the Spirit and um, the baptism and, and just other things and, and, and Reformed doctrine in general. Um, but uh, that transition, the, the way I saw it affect us most, as I began to see complementarianism in the scriptures, um, the idea that God reveals truth um, about gender and is defining certain things about us with gender, um, the way that impacted us most was it, it kind of put to rest some of our greatest marital challenges. As we gain clarity on things, so it was all, it was more of a personal effect. Wow! Yeah. As I saw the personal effect, I realized how how necessary and useful these these truths are for Christians. Um, so um, you know, me learning to love my wife in a sacrificial way, which I certainly do not do perfectly yet, but taking some big steps in that, 
you know, being more considerate of, of her, of her perspective, right. Uh, taking her words to heart, you know, um, letting, letting, letting who she is and, and the fact that she has to live with me and, 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 and the role that she has as a mom and a wife, um, and, and whatever she faces in life, you know, being considerate of all of that as an expression of cherishing her and really loving her the way, Mm. um, Christ laid down his life for me and for the church. Yeah. Um, that was a big step. And then her learning to, to respectful, you know, be respectful toward my leadership and, mm. and to acknowledge, you know, God had given me a role and that she could really help me. And one of the big ways she can help me is to, is to, to respect me. Mm. Um, and she did, I, you know, I want to be careful. I want to be quick to say she, generally was very respectful in her disposition as I think most wives are, but where I might've been hard to respect, um, you know, I think she learned some things there or where she may just because of her own background or her own temptations may have just struggled to respect me, learning that that was, um, a part of what God calls her to, uh, in her role as a wife. Yeah. Um, that those are just huge in our marriage. Yeah. You know, when it came to parenting discussions and decisions, uh, for that matter, following me in this whole transition. Yeah, uh, I could she imagine. She did amazingly. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's how it affected us, you know. And, and yeah. by the time, you know, by the time I was ready to pastor again, we had seen God use those truths so powerfully in our own marriage and parenting that, um, we wanted that for, we, we believe they're, they're flow, springing out of scripture and we wanted that for the people that we minister to. We didn't want to, we don't want to be shy about that. We kind of want to be unapologetic about the reality that God makes us male and female. And when he makes us husband and wife, he's saying something very big, uh, oh, yeah. he's defining us in, in really beautiful ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, Peter, I love the way you're talking about that. Cause it's, it's not just kind of like, here's the biblical truth and deal with it, but it's actually um, just something I've reflected on lately that God's design and male and female, man and woman, uh, complementarian gender roles, um, that it's good yeah. and that it's not just something that's true, but it's a truth to be relished. And I think as people begin to taste it, and I've seen this in our church and in our yeah. own lives, and you're, you're talking about it, is as we, um, as we taste it and apply it, uh, there is a sweetness to the obedience of God's design um, yeah. that I that I've seen in it that, that you're talking about that it's um, yeah I just I love how you're talking about taking you know taking it's uh, there's these caricatures of oh like the guy calling the shots and she has to kind of just listen but like your servant leadership you know emphasizes for example like taking her words to heart and like really like valuing her for who she is like that's that's not what I hear people caricaturize our values as. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you know, uh, so many times she, she's had a beat on something that I was missing. Um, and then there, there are times when, when her counsel or her sense of things actually was wrong. And I took her counsel and, um, and we look back now and we laugh, you know, we laugh about it. And we see that even where, you know, where I made mistakes, where she made mistakes, I mean, God is, he's graciously sovereign over all of it. And uh, when we approach one another in this way and, you know, trusting God, um, where I am, I am leading, but I'm doing so, I need to do so in a, in a way that, that seriously loves my wife, mm-hmm. which means yeah. being very considerate of her. Yeah. Um, God works in that powerfully. Yeah. Yeah, and as you think, and out of your own pastoral ministry and care for folks, and, and bringing this category to life for people, um, is there like one or two things that you're just like regularly having to emphasize, um, either either to correct or to, to draw people um, to faith for, um, in, in the specific category of complementarianism um, in their yeah. lives? Yeah, I think uh I mean I think the bigger part of the puzzle because the because the husband's role is connected to um Jesus laying down his life 
and and really that's where it begins for the Christian, right? Uh, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and I think I think that's the bigger part, and that's where it begins for the marriage. And and I know that um, I know that sometimes men are laying down their lives, and yet their wives aren't respecting them. That happens, but in general, it's usually we have to start and focus on. Um, where the husband may be missing consideration. And it can be hard because he may be considerate of his wife in many ways. Um, but something we would kind of come back to quite a bit is like, here's a, you know, here's an area where you're, you're operating without her input or you're not engaging with her. You know, maybe there's some sense in which you let her say her piece, but you're not, not really engaging with the, the weight of what she's saying. Um, and uh, to, to take to help see, you know, kind of hold up a mirror and say, consider this. Like, what if you were, what if you were facing this, you know, from your leader? Um, it would be hard, wouldn't it? And um, and I just I just did that the other day with a man. You know, it's a wonderful couple. They've grown so much, but they really hit an impasse. And um, you know, and he had a lot of complaints against his wife. But really, you know, as I assessed it, it was. It was that he was not taking the leadership responsibility like that he needed to. And by that, I mean, he wasn't being considerate of what his wife was experiencing from his really lack of leadership. Mm. And, and so that was kind of the, uh, the place we had to go. Wow. That's really helpful. Cause I think that that's a, that's a helpful, um, I think it reflects the complementarian value of, of men are supposed to lead, and that often means um, taking the first shot, you know, like you in, in terms yeah. of receiving it. Um, yeah. And because uh, it often stems from um, the health of a marriage, often stems from uh, the husband's leadership, specifically reflecting Christ or not, and how that affects things. That's not the total picture, but it's definitely a, a major dynamic. Um, major, yeah. Right. Excellent. I think it is primary one. Yeah, thanks, bro. Yeah, no, that's and that's really helpful, Pete. I, I just wanted—I don't want to take too much of your time. I just wanted one more question for you. Do, you. do you got the time for this? I sure do. I'm fine. Excellent. Okay, so uh, you're talking about the transition that you've had uh, into Sovereign Grace, and um, I'm sure you're aware Sovereign Grace has gone through a few things in the last few years, uh, and we are kind of like redefining ourselves according to the Book of Church order. And one of the things I love talking to you about is, um, you know, we are, we're committed to the Book of Church Order. We love what it reflects about our values and who we are. Um, and we often talk about taking a, the spirit of the BCO language as a pinata and beating it away. No, we have the BCO. Um, so talk to me about what is, what is the BCO, the Book of Church Order? Like if you were to explain that to our folks, like if you were to show up at King's Cross at our worship service and say, hi, I'm Pete. Uh, this is the Book of Church Order. How would you introduce it, and then why would you like? Why is it important for us, and like, how does it how does it affect our relationship together? Yeah, and and this is a, I mean, this is very simplistic, but I I really I view it as our commitments to one another. Um, so our commitments to one another as uh, pastors across Sovereign Grace, but also our commitment to one another as members and 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 uh, pastors throughout the, uh, the family of churches, um, uh, these, these commitments are, they're based on biblical values, based on biblical principle, and they're applied into the, you know, in some places, the nitty gritty, at least certainly to, you know, sort of the structure and the policy of how we, how we organize, how we do church life. Um, but, and I think that, I mean, the, the, that's a critical piece, that these are biblical principles. But what we're saying is that we all hold to these biblical principles. So you know that I hold to them, and I know that you hold to them. And so uh, when the inevitable conflicts and difficulties arise, um, we don't just sort of have a handshake deal. We've got, you know, between us, we have a document that spells out, our commitments to one another. Right. We've got a game uh, plan. All, 
yeah, you know, I'll hold to these truths. You can count on that. And if that changes for me, uh, well, then it's on me to, to inform you, to let you know that I've moved. Right. If I don't, then you can hold me to that. You can say, well, wait a minute. You know, you said you believed this. Was that a lie? And there's a, there's a connection, an accountability connection. And, uh, and I think that serves, that serves in our local churches directly, and it serves between the local churches so that we can be this interdependent partnership. Uh, without this kind of uh, clarity, I think that, that it's just begging for, for trouble. Yeah. Uh, there will be challenges. There, there always are. Um, but with this sort of good faith commitment from one another – about truth and the way we, we agree on these things together, uh, we, we've got a basis um, for how we're going to work together in mission and, and hold you know, one another accountable to the gospel and just on and on. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an incredibly important uh, thing that we've endeavored to do and achieve, and we've achieved. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I mean, I know it, it, um, it can feel at times kind of like, oh, like, you know, push your glasses up, ultra geek nerd, you know, stuff. Yeah. But it, um, you know, it's, it's one of the things right, right um, up your alley. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, as, as I've talked to, um, and gotten to see what God's doing in New Hampshire and gotten to talk to other pastors and other, uh, folks who are either members of other churches or are joining our church. Um, kind of one of the refrains that I hear at times is, there's a church crisis, and man, I wish we had had something in place. Um, and which speaks to why the Book of Church Order for us is it's helpful on the. I mean, certainly it was birthed in the midst of a crisis, but it was. Um, I think it, by God's mercy to us, it helps us not only advance the mission and hold each other accountable. What you're talking about, but I mean, if the apostles had all that controversy in their churches. And they were the apostles, man. Like they ate dinner with Jesus. Like, like right. I, right. I, I eat dinner with Jesus, like in a spiritual sense, but not like in like a real yeah, sense. Right. You know? <laughs> right. You never had the chance for Jesus to say to you, "Oh, you have little faith," you know? Yeah, yeah. And correct I, you to your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, <laughs> if they had that, then certainly we do. Um, even yeah. though uh, we have slick logos and cool websites, I think it's still going to happen. Um, and so it's, uh, it's helpful to have it for our own protection and for the protection of our people, right? Um, I think that's yeah. what I, I'm, I'm regularly telling people. Like, look, if you've got, Lord, you know, heaven forbid, but if it were to happen, if you had a problem or an accusation against me or you felt like something was being mishandled, here's the contact info for the guys that hold me accountable, right? Like, you're not just like under my thumb. I, it, this is a, we have defined accountability together. Um, Amen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, it's, um, so you guys, speaking of <clears throat> our time together, we're, we're having the regional assembly at your guys' place this coming fall or spring. Uh-huh. Yes, we're very excited about it. We love, we love hosting it. Yeah, it'll be a good time. Pete, if you had one thing that you could say to our church um, about faithfulness to the gospel, right? We're a church plant. Um, if you had one mm -hmm. thing you could say about faithfulness to the gospel, what would you say to our folks? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the one thing that I would say is to persevere in your faith and, and to persevere um, when you feel like you, you can't persevere anymore, you know, when you're all out of patience, uh, keep persevering, um, because there's, there's absolutely no question that God is at work and he is advancing and establishing his church. I know there, you know, there are times when it, it does, just doesn't look like it at all. It feels like the opposite's happening, but there's, there's, there's no way God is at work and he's establishing his church. And so, you know, no matter what comes, keep persevering mm. in the Lord as a church, uh, because that's a very tangible expression. The church is the church is the most tangible expression that that God's on the move in this earth. Yeah. And you guys are a local church and 
maybe at the early stages of it, but but it's something that God is establishing and raising up, and eventually will be um, more and more uh, on the sending end of mm-hmm. of advancing the gospel. And so keep persevering mm. and trusting. That's excellent, Pete. Thank you for sharing that. If there's any way, is uh, from one church to the other, is there one way we could be praying for you guys? Oh yeah, please. That would be that would be wonderful. Thank you. Um, uh, at the end of August, one of our pastors is going to resign, and um, really, it's it's this incredibly positive thing. Um, he's uh, they're, they're, of course they're going to remain here in the church, and they love this church. But he's just looking at his retirement years, mm. and he uh, he's only got about ten years before that really hits. And so he's trying to create a new vocation yeah. uh, to provide for his family. Um, but also part of his heart is to kind of release his budget uh, so that we can use that to kind of rearrange. So the church has grown a little bit and, and we, we need to address administration. We, we may need to make some changes going forward. So this is all his initiative and you can imagine how, it's so incredible and sacrificial. So it's this incredibly positive thing. But now we're under tremendous pressure to, to figure out what that looks like. Yeah. So um, and 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 we know that we know the Lord's gonna provide the right people and the right direction. Yeah. But I I'm desperate for wisdom. Mm. I, I would really like to take this transition to really strengthen the church in every way. And so if you could just pray for us for wisdom and strength and yeah. provision, you know, the right, the right person or the right people. Yeah. Um, and, and that's and something just, the church yeah. is aware of. That's something they know. Oh yes. Yeah. We, uh, we announced it right away because we, we didn't want there to be, you know, we didn't want the information to kind of leak out. And plus sure. we want them to pray same thing that yeah. God would help us in the transition. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, Pete, that's just encouraging. It's, you know, in some ways it's sad to kind of see a pastor um, retire, but it's, um, as a guy in the, this is my freshman album, right? I'm on the front end of all this stuff, and it's it's encouraging to see a brother um, be faithful to the office um, and faithful to the church, to the glory of Jesus, and um, at the appropriate time, um step aside, not uh, because he's not useful anymore, but to so that the, uh, the gospel can continue to grow the church and advance um, and ser- continue to actually serve the church by stepping aside. Um, I, that's, it's encouraging to hear that guys make it to the end, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, and that can, is a cur- I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So, excellent. Well, we will definitely be praying for you guys and... Um, that that's definitely uh, I can imagine it's challenging days ahead of figuring out the transition, and so we will be praying for you guys at King's Cross. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Lord bless you, and and uh, we're praying for you. Um, we'll continue to do that. In fact, this Sunday we're showing the uh, Sovereign Grace Mission video, so we'll oh, be large and in charge uh, <laughs> on the big screen in our church. Can I tell you, uh, I um, I. I call so uh, I love Colin who made the video. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, we went to the pastor's college together. I haven't watched the video and I won't watch it because I can't watch a video with me in it. Like it just, it, <laughs> I get like a little physically sick. And so, um, so yeah, I, I'm sure it's great, and I'm sure that I'm really great in it. Like I would only do great stuff. So I'm yeah. sure that it's really great. Yeah. But uh, I just hope you use some makeup because I mean HD, <laughs> huge screen. <laughs> You know, it's a, that's a little rough. Yeah, we so I hope we yeah. had to manage the glare when we were doing when we were doing the video. We had a we had some glare issues off of the dome, and so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Pete. All right, thanks for your time, brother. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good. Hi guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Striving Together, Conversations Worthy of the Gospel. If you'd like to learn more about King's Cross Church, listen to our sermons, read our blogs, check anything out, you can visit us at kingscross.church. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at podcast at kingscrossmanchester.com. By the way, the music for this episode is done by one of our worship leaders, Matt Litzinger. You can hear more about Matt's incredible music, get his EP, get all of his great stuff at mattlitzingermusic.com. So that's Matt, M-A-T-T, Litzinger, L-I-T-Z-I-N-G-E-R, music.com. Matt is that sense of wonder and adventure you felt when exploring your grandfather's garage as a kid. Have a great week. Thank you.